Hello, this is Juice speaking. Oh, it's you. It's been so long since last we spoke. How are you? What was that? You like me to instruct you on the rules of the game again? Very well. Please note that this podcast will have strong language and content that may not be suitable for younger audiences. Listener discretion is advised. This game may also contain spoilers for Eden of the East as well as various other anime. I suggest using extreme caution when encountering this. Lastly, the opinions expressed are those of the individual Selasau and may not reflect on the entire game as a whole. Was that a satisfactory explanation? Very well. Noblesse oblige. I pray for your continuing service as a savior. Hello, one and all, and welcome to Dub Talk, the podcast where we become the saviors of anime and try not to wipe our memories one too many times. My name is Stephanie, and I'm joined today by Jet, Amon, and Andrew. Hello. Hi. An elephant never forgets, but I forget what the elephant remembers. Also, apparently I'm naked and I have a gun. What the <coughs> fuck have you been doing with your life? I, I can't tell you. I don't remember. Andrew, we talked about this. Look. Noble so please. I pray for Andrew's continued services. Whatever he is. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 no. The reason why we are all gathered here today is a simple one. And this is why Andrew has lost his memory. We are here to punish Andrew for all the rock puns he has made in Dr. Stone. Oh, my God. <laughs> I've atoned for that. <laughs> No, no you, you fuck you. No, you haven't. Fuck you. <laughs> fuck you, sh- little little shit. <laughs> it's just ironic because this is the Doctor Stone group here today. <laughs> it is. It is. That's ex- and I, when Andrew made this group. By the way, happy birthday to fucking me. This is my birthday episode. Happy birthday gr- to you. God damn it. <laughs> no, when Andrew put this. Because I can't really make my own group, so Andrew did it for me. He just grabbed he grabbed the, the the three of three of you guys, and I'm just like, wait, this is the Doctor Stone group. He's like, yes, it is. I'm like, you son of a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so we are not here to punish Andrew, though we could end up punishing him during the episode. Who the fuck knows? Um, but no, we are actually here because happy birthday to me, and I get to host a episode if I wish to, and I wanted to, um, but. Yes, we are here to have a little birthday fun with probably one of my favorite anime series because I'm the uh, I'm one of those oddballs that like strange and mysterious things and also because trying to cover Paranoid Age will be extremely difficult since I'm the only person with an actual full copy and because Monster is expired. Thanks. Thanks I like that's not true. Someday. I own Paranoid Agent. So, so, Wait, so, what? I own Paranoid Agent. Why the fuck did you not tell me this? Sad. <laughs> <laughs> Information. Yeah, I could have. I could have figured this out. Information oh, sorry, sorry, for don't, next year. Sorry, Damn. Don't, okay. Don't, sorry, don't worry. Don't worry, Seth. Someday our prince will come. Someday Discotech will save us. Someday. Ah, uh, Discotech, please save us. God, if I had known Amon had had a copy of Paranoid Agent, fuck. <laughs> this would have been a different episode entirely. Shit. Oops. Well, Oops. hindsight's twenty twenty. <laughs> Oh, well, we're here for a fun time anyway. Anyways, we're going to be 
covering the 2009 series Eden of the East from studio production IG and director Kenji Kamiyama, who is most well known for directing Ghost in the Shell standalone compact complex. I can fucking read. As well as Napping Princess, which we covered during our second season of Summer at the Movies last year. Uh, if you are not familiar with this series, here's a quick summary. I took it from the back of my slim pack DVDs. Uh, some conspiracies are more than theories. Akira Takizawa wakes up naked outside the White House with no memory. He's got a gun in one hand, a cell phone in the other, and doesn't know if he's a good guy or one of the worst. He doesn't remember the phone gives him instant access to 10 billion yen and a woman who can make his most outlandish requests a reality. He doesn't recall his connection to the ongoing missile attacks terrorizing the Japanese people or the part he played in the sudden disappearance of 20,000 shut-ins. He doesn't even remember he's supposed to save Japan and will be murdered if he fails. Whatever it is he's tangled up in, Takizawa's definitely in deep, and that's not even scratching the surface. So, <laughs> that, yeah, that plot summary is not even scratching the surface. Akira, Akira woke is. up packing heat in more ways than one. Boo. <laughs> Boo. I mean, okay, you know what? I'll grant him that. We're probably going to have to make a lot of those kinds of puns tonight. Uh, I mean, we're going to be talking a lot about a lot about a lot of Johnny's tonight. We got so, yeah. we got to make sure this material doesn't get stiff. Son of a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Andrew, I could I be love having you. waffles right now. <laughs> <laughs> I'll drop. Okay, here's, okay, here's, Andrew, uh, okay, Andrew. Remember, at least two of us are in the same state as you right now. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, that's right. I moved to Jersey. Ba -ba 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 -ba. Yes, this is the first episode in uh, Steph's new place in Jersey. She is now in the same state yes. as Jet and myself now. Yes, which means Jet. I'll I'll see you in like 20 <laughs> minutes. We'll go up to Andrew's place and kick him in the ass. How's that sound? <laughs> <laughs> I'm on, come on, drive down. We'll meet you down there, too. We'll all kick his ass. This, this is going to go all Reservoir Dogs on me, isn't it? Yes, it is. Fuck you. That's another thing the show has in common. Lots and lots of movie references. You're right. Anyway, we are considering today's episode one of our classics episodes, so we are going to be talking about pretty much the full cast. Uh, a brief, brief history. Andrew's the only person who has not seen this. The I'm gonna call it a franchise because the End of the East is a one one core TV series plus three movies. One of them being a compilation film, but the other two do actually complete the story. So we are covering the TV series, The King of Eden, and Paradise Lost. Those are the two films we are going to be covering. Um, today because they it's very important that we do because it actually completes the story somehow um, So Andrew has never seen this before Jen and Amon have however both of them have not seen the films until recently Which means I'm the only person who's seen the TV series and both films so Welcome to my life Anyways, so we are gonna be going through the casting and the staffing of Eden of the East as a whole uh, Just giving general opinions on the performances as well as the dub overall. Are we ready to uh, uh, are, we, are we ready to dive on into this madness? Yes, sure Noblesse oblige I pray for your continuing service as a guy who won't make fucking puns the whole day 
Okay, Julius. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> Thanks. Which which number is it? Number six, you fucking pervert filmmaker. Ah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so we are going to start off with the ADR director and the script writers. There are three script writers, one for the TV show, one for King of Eden, and the other one for Paradise Lost. So there is a different script writer on each of the projects here. Uh, our script writers, I'll start there. For the script for the TV show, we have Andrew Rye, who has written for other series such as Ghost Hunt, Peach Girl, and one that if you are a listener of the podcast you will know this because we cover this during Jet's birthday episode this year uh, he also wrote for Cash and Sins uh, for The King of Eden the person who wrote the script for that is Miss Bonnie Clunkenbeard who has written for other series such as Alice and Zoroku Hiyoka and Soul Eater and as for the writer behind Paradise Lost, we have John Bergmeier. This one took a minute because I was trying to find script credits, not head writer credits, because he has a goddamn ton for script writing credits. John has written for shows such as Beck Mongolian Chop Squad, Solity Ray, and the Evangelion Rebuild films, specifically 1.0 and 2.0. Uh, as for our ADR director, we have the one, the only, Mr. Mike McFarland, who is very well known as an ADR director. He has directed a series such as Attack on Titan, Grimgar, Ashes, and Illusions, and here's an old school one for you too, Trinity Blood. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I just, it was a little gem I found right there. I'm like, ooh, Megan would be proud. <laughs> it would be 2000s vampire action, yes. <laughs> Hell yeah. I know Megan wants to someday cover that one. Holy shit. And I would love to dive in on that too. Uh, anyways, I'm going to start with Amon. What do you think of the directing and writing of Eden of the East? Uh, they're both great. Uh, I don't think I've ever heard a bad dub by Mike McFarland. Uh, certainly not as of late. Um, uh, he's, a, he's a good, solid director in general. I think he's particularly good at balancing shows like this that uh, just have lots of characters going on. And particularly ones... Uh, as we'll talk about, like, this is not a show where the whole ensemble is uh, kicking around at the same time. People split up into groups and subgroups, and you got other people going on over here. And I think he does a very good job of actually uh, handling shows where there are that many characters to keep track of, and getting good performances out of his actors, and making sure that, uh, you know, everything meshes together. Um, which, I, you know, it, direction, uh, the direction is, you know, impeccable. I have no complaints there. Uh, the script writing, I actually think, is both good and surprisingly cohesive. I'm actually surprised to learn that the TV series and the two movies were each, like, technically adapted by different people. I think there's a lot of good cohesion here. Um, mm -hmm. I think the I think the adaptation's very strong. Um, everybody, everybody sounds right. All the writing feels on point for those characters. Uh, how do I put it? Uh, <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it, it, I think it balances the show well. Like, this is a nominally serious show that's also kind of really goofy. More often than you'd expect. It, it, uh. So, for those who don't know a damn thing about Eden of the East, uh. the with the plot summary alone, you would think this to be a like mystery thriller, maybe maybe a little political drama, maybe. Um, then you for you you forget this is Kenji Kamiyama here. If you know anything about Napping Princess. <laughs> I mean uh, um, I mean, okay. I mean, to be okay. I mean, to be fair, even in even in Ghost of the Tale of Goblins, which is like 
Debo super it serious. It has its moments. Those are, Those are, has its moments, too. I was going to say even then, like, the Tachikomas exist. The Tachikomas exist. The Tachikomas do And there's exist. also a couple of moments, like, of, like, buddy cop shenanigans with the t yeah. of Sector 9. I... I need to actually, I own it too. I need to actually sit down someday and watch Ghost in the Shell because I've seen episodes sporadically when it was on Adult Swim. I've never watched the enti- the series in its entirety though. But um, yeah, so it's, d- don't let the plot summary I read earlier deceive you. This show can be kind of silly. <laughs> or, even, or even when it's dramatic. <laughs> Even when it's dramatic, you have some extremely absurd setups like, hey, we just shipped 20,000 neats over to India. And Mm -hmm. hey, here's a serial killer who has been doing this for years, (laughs) has a body count of 20,000, and has just not been caught even before she got her cell phone. Andrew, I'm pretty sure she didn't actually cut off that many dicks. Like, that's that's the urban legend part coming in. <laughs> that's the, I mean, that's here's the, the problem. You don't part, know man. that. We don't know anything about her. Anyways. Uh, uh, yeah, we're going to have some stuff to say about that later on as well. Yes. <laughs> Any, anyway. Anyways, I think the script writing is really good on this. I think it's, it's dramatic when it needs to be. It's funny when it needs to be. And I think it feels very cohesive again. Like, I would not have guessed this, uh, each of these particular iterations had different writers on the dub script end. You know, if you mm-hmm. ask me blind, I would assume whoever did the scripting for the show did the scripting for the two movies, vice versa. Um, like, on the whole, I think this is a really, this is a really fun, strong dub. Uh, it blend, it goes well with the show, and I really like it. Okay. Jet, what are your thoughts on directing and writing? Uh, so I praise Mike McFarlane's work a lot of times on this podcast, and I feel like almost anything I could say about this show's directing would probably involve me repeating myself, but it was it was really well done. Uh, all the performances here, I uh, praise for being very solid and very strong, and uh, there's a good, solid uh, mix with the cast for people from both in and out of Texas, which is nice. I mean, uh, since uh, this is exactly what I would call a very emotional show, there aren't, like, too, too many chances for the actors to really show off their dramatic chops. Uh, but they do help in making what could otherwise be a kind of dry sci-fi thriller pretty fun. I mean, like, and, like, and again, there are, like, like, there are definitely a few stretches of comedy here and there, so I really enjoyed listening to them. Uh, script-wise, I thought all three of the scriptwriters did a very good job, uh, like I was saying. If like I was saying, I actually didn't know till Steph listened it off that it was three different people who wrote it. So and you really wouldn't be able to tell otherwise because it was very cohesive. So I'm definitely glad they managed to keep that consistent. And I felt that the dub itself kind of just in general is kept in a Japanese script pretty faithfully without ever feeling like too too direct of a translation. And it and uh, you can definitely feel that the writers are having some fun with the dialogue every now and then. Mm-hmm. Especially with all the Johnny euphemisms that keep popping up. <laughs> oh God! Yeah, I have a I have a story about the yeah. Johnny thing later. Yeah, I mean, like, I mean, I'm like I told everyone else this, but I I feel like I'm probably gonna have more to say about the show itself than the actual dub. But I mean, but even though this again isn't exactly a show I recall very dramatic, I thought that Mike McFarland and all the scriptwriters did a good job on this. And uh, given that this show was pretty popular when it came out, it's kind of nice that they really put any extra effort with this dub. Hmm. All right, Andrew. Uh, this is one of those things I'm kind of fascinated watching. Ma- I'm interested watching this from a modern 
modern perspective looking back because mm -hmm. like i felt like this dub and this show was a lot more recent than i gave it credit for because looking as far as the casting goes this is a lot more like way before the simul dub broadcast era than i gave it credit for yeah this is this is this is if you weren't knowledgeable on it like you you probably couldn't tell that it was pre-simuled up like right? like i think the only thing i actually knew about who was in this show was who voices akira takizawa like i i thought i knew who saki was until steph was like wait no it's this person instead and yeah and then realizing oh there's a couple of people from california oh there's a couple of regulars from Houston. Oh, mm -hmm. that guy is like a superstar now, and he's never in things in Funimation related anymore. It's thanks Troy Baker for your services. Oh right, yeah, we're not covering him. We won't get to talk about him, but Troy Baker was a minor role in this. Show. Yes, he was. Um, he got the bread. <laughs> uh, yes, uh, yes, Troy Baker definitely got the bread, and he baked <laughs> it too. <laughs> He had a, he, he put that butt in the oven. Ah, that's what I was trying to go at. Thank you, sweetie. Okay. <laughs> You're welcome, babe. Um. Anyways, so it's very interesting seeing in regards to the casting of this one. It's kind of interesting. I feel everybody does a pretty good job at being the characters they get to be. Because not everybody really has as much to do in the show as others. But the ones that do leave a lasting impression are pretty enjoyable. And they have to deal with a lot of exposition and not make it sound too boring and logical. And for the most part, they tried their best. I think it was just interesting that, like, as you said, a lot of cohesion between the different writers. And it never felt mm -hmm. too jarring. It felt like it was loyal and it felt like it got the material right. But it also allowed itself to have a little bit of fun and have some fun character banter and dialogue. And also managed to do a lot with saying the word neat. So you had to make sure everybody was clear and concise on how to say neat and how to use neat properly in context for the American audience, which was actually well done. I think this is a good dub. It's a good dub and it's a good script and a good cast. I think most of it is pretty good, though I will... I'll, I won't lie and say there's a couple of these I'm having trouble remembering, though the ones that do stand out in this dub, they have a very strong impression. Okay. Alright. So, similar to what Jet has said, um, what is there to not say about a Mike McFarlane directed dub? You can never real you can't really think of anything bad to say about a Mike McFarlane directed dub. He takes the... He will take the shittiest of shit and turn it into something that's good. Like... Fuck, fuck, fuck. Hang on. <laughs> <laughs> what are you doing? I'm sorry. I opened the video quickly and I thought the, the, the volume was turned off. It turns out it was all the way up. Was it that dog again that you sent me? It was a different thing, but yes. <laughs> so a dog was involved. Anyway... So, yeah, Mike McFarland is definitely one of the strongest directors. Granted, he hasn't, at least not lately, he hasn't had any, like, big projects. That's been given to some of the, the newer full-time directors nowadays. However, back in the day, he was given a lot of fun stuff. And I think Eden of the East is definitely one of them. Um, very solid casting. A very, 
a wide mix because as Andrew pointed out, we have some of the Texas reg- the Dallas regulars that we'll normally see, but we also have these a few Houston people that we'll run into as well as a few LA based voice actors um, and old school favorites like Troy Baker that pop in on occasion. Um, to, to just just to give you that gentle reminder, yeah, Troy Baker used to voice anime back in the day. Mm-hmm. Rip. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I mean, I mean, if anything, he was in anime this year, supposedly. He, but he, he was. Did he? He was in a net. He was a lead in a Netflix series. Yes, uh, yes, yeah, he was a lead in a new in a new Baki show. What? Yeah, it's not, yeah. It's not that he won't do anime. It's that he's generally too expensive for anime. It's either too expensive or too busy. Oh my god. Troy Baker, we miss you and love you. Come back to anime more often, please. Okay. Anyway. um, As for the writing, I I am also in full agreement. It's... I didn't know that these were written by three different writers until I... Right before I started work uh, watching the show again, and then I was like, "Oh shit, these are by three different people." Oh damn. Um, so we <laughs> similar to theirs to everybody else's surprise is like if I didn't know about that going into it, I would have thought this was written by one person. This is a cohesive script, and it's like one single person wrote the entire thing. Now, obviously. Obviously, by the time Bonnie got her hands on King of Eden, Andrew Rye probably was not writing scripts anymore. At least for Funimation, because he doesn't have a ton under his belt, in all honesty. Um, And Andrew Rye, the only thing I'm familiar with him, granted I need to rewatch Peach Girl at some point, because that was ages ago, is Cash and Sins. um, When when we watched it for Jet's birthday episode. Is Peach Girl Um, actually a good show? I... It's it's high school drama hijinks and bullshit. I hear very mixed things, and the most I hear is it's... I haven't watched it in years. Okay. I need to rewatch it. Yeah, the only the only big thing that I know Andrew Rye has written is Cashern, only because Jet introduced me to Cashern recently. Um, so a lot of it's going to be based on his script work, because... Bonnie and John just make it consistent throughout throughout the two films too. So realistically, Andrew was able to <laughs> as the person who had the most time with the script, he had he had the opportunity to give us those dramatic moments, give us the mysterious tone. However, it's not because it's not a dramatic piece entirely. It has those stupid light lighthearted moments where it's like a little like a little bit of breathing room um just to make it instead of going completely total dark here that um he got to play up those elements he got to play up all the reactions he got to play up some of the wackier moments like the johnnies and things like that (laughs) you could tell he had fun writing it um and again bonnie and john just kept that cohesive the the cohesion and that consistency throughout the two films so it was if you didn't know any better, you would have thought it was just one person, like all the all the guys have been saying so far. But um, overall, like it's a very it is one of the stronger dubs, I think, uh, especially for the time that it came up. But it is one of the stronger dubs, I feel, uh, especially for an early. More than likely, this came out in the 2010s. 
the dub itself. Um, so it, I think it's a strong, strong dub for the early 2010s. Um, but as we go along, we're going to have a lot more fun talking about this show. So why don't we move on to our first set of characters, yes? Yeah. Okay. So for the Selasau game, there are 12 people. Thankfully, we don't meet all 12 of them. We, do, we never meet, I think, number seven or eight. Thank God. <laughs> and um, number three, who's voiced by Julie Erickson, she only has like a five-second scene. So we're, as much as we love Julie Erickson, we're not going to talk about her character. However, we, who we are going to talk about, I have one, two, three, four, at least five. And then three more um, that are going to be separate because they have a lot more involvement uh, in the sh in the series as a whole. So the characters we're going to talk about first, we have Selasau number two, Jintaro Suji. We have Selasau number four, Yusei Kondo. Selasau number five, Hajime Hi Oh my god, Hira. Selasau uh, number six, Taishi Naomoto. And Selasau number ten, Ryo Yuki. Now, all of these fine gentlemen here, they are very, very odd. Most of them are. So, number two, Suji is... I don't know what his general deal is. He's a dirtbag. He's a dirtbag! He, 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 he first I... appears at the end of the series, but then he takes advantage of the Air King thing, makes it a brand, and tries to start some shit in the movie. He seems like, he, okay, he okay, seems like okay. a graphic design promoter guy. Okay, yeah. no, like, uh, my general impression of him was just very bored rich dude. So he's a dirtbag. Yeah, so, so, like, he's a dirtbag. So, yeah, because, because something that's, like, explicitly stated about him, like, towards the end of the TV series that he already had, was that he was already rich to begin with, so he didn't even... Really oh, you're right, I forgot. Game. So, yeah, just, like, really bored rich guy. Yeah. Uh, number four, Kondo. He's a inspector, police officer. Uh, we only see him in the f in the first couple of episodes of the series. Um, he is a Selassau just trying to get out of the game and everything like that. Uh, motherfucker ends up dead because <laughs> he's a dummy. Um, then we have number five. He he. Oh my god, Hajime. I'm not trying the last name ever again. You got uh, this. He's He's actually a doctor. Um, I think he's... I really like his little character bit, even though it was one episode, where he, what he just, he does with the um, 10 billion that he was given is essentially create this medical utopia of sorts uh, for the old and for their families to take care of them and everything like that. Um, he does not win the game, unfortunately. Uh, presumably by the end of episode five... Haha, <laughs> ironic... Presumably by the end of episode five, he has lost the game and the supporter, um, who is uh, an assistant to Mr. Outside, who has created the game, uh, murders him. In truth, he's alive, though. But anyway, number six, uh, Naomoto. He's exclusive only to the King of Eden film and for a split second at the end of Paradise Lost. He is a perverted filmmaker. That's really all you need to know about this guy. It, That's his character his, right there. His deal is that he wants to see some... He wants to see some. Oh God! Action. He's David Cage. He's he's a David Cage. He's like, oh, it's not true art if they're not naked in a shower. Yep, accurate. Uh, and as for number ten, Yuki. So this kid, oh boy, he is the one behind the Careless Monday attacks, trying to bomb six different cities. 
Uh, uh, I think it's worth noting that while he is behind it, he was kind of egged on by number one, or at least that's what the you implication is. You are also is. correct. That is also the implication. When we talk about number one, we'll get more into that a bit more. Um, and then he tries to launch 60 more fucking tomahawks at the end of the show. And then he fails, and then um, he kind of... He's kind of turns into a broken piece of garbage for the rest of the series. And we don't know if he's dead or alive after number one kind of fucking ran him over with his car. Uh, like, like, that seems ambiguous, but my, assumption, but my assumption was that both died, or at least that's what I hope happened. I hope he died. <laughs> I, he like he was in very good shape at the time. I don't think he survived that. That's, no, like, I was, like, I was, you like, could I, say the same I, thing about panties, though, and he fucking lived. Yeah, yeah. Panties, that's panties true. A lot of natural protection from being so, so... That's a beat. I shouldn't say that. <laughs> look, look, panties, panties is a beast. Panties is a fucking beast, and we love him. Anyway, the individuals voicing these characters as number, Celestine number two, Suji. We have Todd Hapercorn, who's been in series such as Agretzko, Bungo Stray Dogs, and Holic. As Celestine number four, Kondo, we have Christopher Sablet. Yeah, Sablet, Sablet, ugh. I can't talk. Who's been in series such as My Hero Academia, Full Metal Alchemist, and for a fun one, Panty and Stocking with Garter Belt. Number five, uh, doc, the, the doc here. Uh, Kent Williams, who has been in series such as Darker and Black, Fruits Basket, and Token Rambu Hanamaru. As number six, now Moto, we have Josh Greeley, <laughs> who has been in series such as Princess Jellyfish, Drifters, and Attack on Titan. And as Stella Sound number 10, Yuki, we have Jerry Jewell, who has been in series such as Bakano, uh, Disastrous Life of Psyche K and Hitelia. I'm going to start with Andrew on this. What do you think of these performances? Uh, Some of these should be very easy to knock out, though. Okay, so let's start with uh, Jintaro Suji. Uh, Todd is good job at sounding like a bored, rich asshole <laughs> who actually gets a little bit more personality going into him into the movies. In the, mm -hmm. in the anime series, he's just kind of there. But yeah. in the movies, he gets a chance to actually promote the brand and be a little more play a bigger part in the international the international sphere of the game until uh until he gets narked on by every single tax collector in japan i guess yeah that's a thing that just thanks number happened. one there's that's just there's just an <laughs> army of tax collectors just out to attack him and get his shit and i guess that's just the end of of what we see to him cool yeah pretty much cool um so uh sabbat is an interesting character who's basically a corrupt cop who kind of started this out with moral intentions but then went astray and then tried to rob uh akira before spending all of his money and realizing oh shit once you spend all of your money you're good as dead too i think he's the only one to actually die uh, Realistically, he's the only one that actually dies. For this, uh, uh, okay, he's the only one who is confirmed to die. Again, we don't know what happened to ten and one. That that is true. We also never saw seven or eight, so who knows what could have the story been there? Fair enough. But yeah, con confirmed dead. Yes, the only confirmed body count. But I, I like I was interested in that because it seemed like okay, we're gonna be working on some uh, crazy. Uh, 
Oh god, what what am I thinking of? Uh, Final Destination rules, where it's just like even if like they find some sort of way to like make a death happen. Like I was expecting a lot more of those in the series, but it's like okay, most of these got got out okay for a th for a series that's like oh, if you if you spend all your money, you're gonna die, and only one of them is seen to die because of the money going to zero. It's like okay. Like well, we actually uh, here's here's the thing with that, you can't necessarily say that it was because of the Celisau system that he ended up dead. Remember, so Kondo had another woman he was having an affair, right? And um, he sent a message to his lover that he has enough money and he was going to send him a plane ticket. Remember that meeting place? His wife accidentally got the message instead. There is a shot random shot and it's actually i think it's hidden pretty well where they imply that it's the supporter who might have told the wife but what if it was just something as simple as him sending a text to the wrong person yeah yeah i'll see the implication is that that probably is what happened i guess mm -hmm. but it's still like yeah either way either way sabbath does a good job being a dirtbag detective and that's fun uh kent williams as the benevolent uh, Doctor Man. The good doctor. The, the good doctor. The good doctor is a different show on ABC, but he not Norman Bates. <laughs> yes. Um, he's not Norman Bates. He's not Norman Bates. Norman Bates. Uh, yes. <laughs> he's not Norman Bates because he doesn't want to fuck his mother. Um. Anyways. Uh, God damn it. <laughs> uh, Kent Williams does a good job as the good doctor, who is not Norman Bates, who is not wanting to fuck his mother. Um, God damn it. <laughs> he's a good job. He's a good benevolent dude who also kind of manages to stage a recreation of his own getting the phone very realistically to uh, Akira. And it's presumed that he dies because his his bank account goes to zero because he opens up a whole hospital system. But then it's like, mm -hmm. no, he's not dead. All of his memories were just erased. It's like, okay. Yep. Which is why that implication of what happened to Kondo is, is like, null and void. Because we find out that um, the Doctor has actually only just lost his memories and, like, partway through the first film, actually. Okay. So. Okay. And now, and now we got uh, Josh Greeley and Jerry Jewell. In the long run, what the fuck was the point of these characters? Um... Jerry for plot reasons. Josh, because why the fuck not? Even yeah, for plot uh, reasons, it's like... Rio, yeah, uh, like, Rio seemed like he got, like, really hurt and went off the grid and then wanted revenge. And the movie spends no time on him. It spends he, no he time on his revenge <laughs> plot. Or, like, his end game is, I'm going to find the guy and gun him. They could have just ended... Ryo Yuki's story at the end of the series, but they yeah, and, and, yeah, like okay, like this is gonna come up a lot, but I feel like Kenji Kamiyama just had like way too many ideas and like I feel I feel I feel Yuki was very much one of those. Okay, I have nothing to do with this guy. Oh fuck, fuck, fuck. Uh, uh, he he tries to gun him, and then they run into each other and gun each other and dead. Cool. What, what, what was their relationship? Why was he so hurt by this? Why did he go off the grid? What did he do off the grid? What was his plan other than I'm gonna gun? Going, going, gun. Jesus Christ. This is all I have to talk about because Jerry does good job at being angry, edgy boy. 
cool, but his character really does not do much. I don't get what their deal is. Josh Greel is a ton of fun as a character who literally has no fucking purpose in the series. Except <laughs> for one really, really, really bad joke. Uh, God. Like, which, which, remind me of the joke. Uh, as I, uh, the joke is that it is implied he gets prison raped by two big black guys, which is, uh... You right! Which is like, oh, God! Like, that's that the was, end that game, was... too! And the end game is when everything's getting resolved and the big drama's happening. And it's like, oh, let's imply this dude is gonna get fucking raped. Okay, what's, what's happening there? But even then, Josh is a strange filmmaker boy who really wants to see the main two naked and literally explodes a fucking uh, heater because he doesn't get his way. And I like hearing Josh Greeley say the fuck word. <laughs> you did it again. That time I did he it on was... purpose. Ah, oh, Jesus. But yes. He did on he did on accident earlier because he wanted to say the F word instead he said the fuck word instead. But, but all right. it's, I, let Josh Greeley say fuck. <laughs> Are are you good? Yes, I'm good. I'm done. I okay. Continue. You're about to ramble. I'm gonna stop you before you even start. Amon, what do you think of these characters? Uh, I, mean, I think the set on the whole is pretty good. Uh, like they're all they're all well done. Um, Suji, as as I mentioned, he, he's a dirt bag. Like, look at him. If if he'd vape, come on. Hundred <laughs> percent. Um, if if Suji was a character in modern day, he'd totally fucking vape. Absolutely. Um, and Todd's good at putting a lot of slime in his voice, so I think he like he captures that aspect of the character really well. Um, Savitt's really good; like he plays big gruff burly dude, um, mm. a, 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 a shitty corrupt big buff burly dude, which I feel like is usually not Savitt's uh, usual wheelhouse. But I think he does a really good job of here. He is good as that character for the like two episodes he's in before his his wife knifes him in an alley. Um, who else? Uh, Ken Williams is a lot of fun. I think he he just he he makes some. Um, Hoyura gives him just this nice, like, warm, sort of avuncular feel to him. Like, he feels like one of the few, like, unquestionably good people in this show. Like, there's no subterfuge, there's nothing underneath that he's trying to get at. It's just like, no, I figured I could do better, just, uh, you know, I'll have a hospital and employ people who usually can't get work. And it'll be nice. Yep. Um, he's a sweetheart. Um, who is it? Uh, Josh is amusing while he's on screen. I don't, I don't, I, I feel like the point of this character is just they wanted a Salisau they hadn't seen previously, and also just riffing on the fact that, like, Akira's a weirdo movie nerd, um, but in real life he probably would be this, like, competent, high-minded, uh, revolutionary guy, he'd just be that shithead in your film studies class who will not shut up ever. Um, and that's yeah, what, and that's what, right. and that's what Naomoto is. He's, he's the real-life version of what Akira would be if you're an actual person. I, I'm I'm just going with he is he is the David Cage. Even David Cage has ambitions, man. They're stupid <laughs> ambitions, but they're but there. ambitions. Okay, fair they're, enough. They at least exist. Um, this this is a man who thinks being horny is a, is just a, is a sign of artistic merit. Anyways, um, and I I, I um and uh, I like Jerry's performance a lot actually. I thought especially in the movies, I thought he really sold just how like exhausted Rio looks I think in part just because he realized the people he thought had his back were just kind of using him and it kind of broke him because <laughs> you know he almost killed millions of people uh, 
Yeah, that'll do one to you. Uh, but I, I liked his performance a lot. I thought he was he was he was very like nicely smart alecky during the TV show, and then later on he just sells the exhaustion this character is clearly going through really well. He he looked he sounded as haggard as he looked, and I I appreciate that. Uh, yeah, I like these performances. They were good. All right, Jet. Okay, uh, I will also be pretty quick here. Uh, Todd Habercourt is Suji. Um, like Andrew and Abad said, he does a good job of making this guy just sound like a natural slimeball. Uh, he like, he definitely just gives him the kind of tone that would definitely belong to a clearly very bored rich dude who's just kind of uh, who's just kind of in this because it seems like an amusing way to pass the time. And he's like, and I appreciate that he doesn't really get invested until after he kind of sees what Takizawa is capable of. And like, and his whole like we, his whole like weird conspiracy was, I guess, kind of amusing. I mean, I mean, the whole thing about him effectively getting outed by the IRS was kind of weird. But well, this show is weird. I mean, he's a rich like, guy. Well, that's usually how it happens. I, I mean, that's usually how. I mean, that's usually how it happens. But the whole Celestial system in general is just kind of like very weird. The rules of this game are very weird. Uh. Uh, as for Jerry Jewell, uh, yeah, he did a really good job of playing the edgy boy who wasn't really around for very long. I did think his motivation was pretty interesting in that, like, like in that he's angry that his parents kind of died from being overworked, which is like a thing that happens in Japan a lot, unfortunately. I yep. seriously forgot that was his deal. That was his deal. That was yeah, that was his deal. He, he thought the world was, like, corrupt and shit, and... Like, he's got an interesting idea and setup, and they have him set up to be much more interesting than what they do with him, and what they do with him is fucking nothing. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Uh, pretty so, much. Um, so, okay, so, yeah, so he's, uh, yep, so he's uh, definitely very angry at the system for what happened to his parents, and wants to nuke everyone, but then that goes south, so he uh, then just spends most of the other two... The remainder of the other two movies just kind of being very depressed and not doing much of anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, for what it's worth, though, I thought Jerry Jewell did a very good job of making him sound very edgy and angry. I just kind of wish this guy did more. <laughs> I mean, I mean, but uh, considering he, but considering he was one of the few people in this game who was definitely very willing to kill a lot of people, I'm glad that it was at least implied he was one of the only people who might have died. Well, besides him at number one, Possibly. but again, but again, they were ambiguous about that, which is kind of weird. Yes. <laughs> and that's right. Uh, Josh Grill as Namoto, and this character was also just kind of there. I don't really get what his purpose was. I also really, 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 really hated that joke with that joke of him at the end. That like. That this like literally soured my opinion of the entire second movie. It it uh, it makes no sense because it's just like you're you're have it. The tone makes no sense with everything else in the movie. Hell, his whole character makes no sense with the tone of everything else in this series. Because yeah. he, he kind of shows up to stop them at the Ferris wheel, but also defends them with the flame. Th- what what is his deal? I, 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 Andrew, I don't think he's defending them. I think he's just a fuck up. And, uh, yeah, yeah. It He's an like, idiot. No, no, it seemed like he was trying to kill them with the flamethrower, and then like another group showed up, so he just ran. And like, and like, honestly, even that whole thing, and also even that whole thing with him trying to get them in the shower didn't really make much sense because it's like, again, the limits of the Silas House system are very weird because it's like, how would you just randomly blow up a heater? 
Jewies can get you every single See, webcam porno in the world. Why are you so focused on these two schmucks? You, you got you <laughs> gotta remember one thing about Jewies here is she does have a range limit. Okay, okay, no, no, okay, no. I understand that. I'm wondering, like, how? Do, like, okay, okay. Given that it's just okay, given that the whole Jewies system is that okay, it's like infinite money. How do you mm -hmm. use that to blow up a heater? Like, I, mean, I, mean, I don't get it. I don't I mean, think that was the intention. I think the original intention was just to make the room very warm that forces them to go, like, cool off in a shower. Okay, but, and okay, then but just probably because it's an old hotel, it just fucking exploded as a result. That's my guess on that I, one, but I, Lord I, knows. It's so weird. <laughs> it is. It's very weird. Uh... Chris Sabat as Kondo. Uh, this character wasn't around for very long, but I thought he was uh, pretty interesting. Uh, seeing the whole corrupt cop angle was always, uh, you know, always a kind, kind of an addition to this sort of thing. And I thought that Christopher Sabat did a very good job of making him sound, you know, very jaded and cynical mm -hmm. and, you know, the kind of guy who isn't, you know, afraid to kill people to get what he wants, which is why, again, he is like the only character who explicitly dies. Um, so, uh, so, yeah, I thought it was a pretty neat performance. Uh, it would have been nice if this character had stuck around a little longer, but, I mean, he, he, served, he served his purpose in kind of, like, he served his purpose in kind of setting up the tone, so I guess I, I guess I feel more positive about his role this year than some of the others, I will say. Mm -hmm. And, uh, then, uh, and then finally, Kent Williams, who was, uh, definitely, uh, one of the more positive characters in this show. Uh, because uh, outside of Takizawa, he's like basically the only other Salazar who actually wants to use his newfound power to help people. Yep. Uh, while he's been in the show for very long, Kent Williams, uh, he does a good job of playing up uh, his, the character's initial suspicion of Takizawa when he runs into him. And I kind of liked how like generally warm his personality is afterwards. And I liked Ken's delivery during his whole, like, talk with Takizawa, where he's just kind of talking about how grateful he is to Mr. Outside for, you know, granting him the resources to help all his patients. And it just really helped to give the impression that this was the kind of guy whose life's work was helping people. And uh, by all accounts, he was probably one of the more sensible participants in this game, which makes it all the more depressing that he gets taken out so early. I mean, mm -hmm. I guess on the bright side, he doesn't actually die, even if it makes the whole rules of the Southside game feel even more, like, total nonsense. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I mean, but in a series that is generally more about political statements and characters, it was nice having at least one guy outside the main group who was, like, who was easy to empathize with, so... Thanks. And I'm done. Okay. I'm gonna make this quick, because... Y'all pretty much covered a good amount of my thoughts on these guys already. I'm just going to go down the line here. Number two, Suji, Todd Habercorn. Slimy little shit. Uh, a dirtbag, as uh, Amon so lovingly calls him. Uh, it's very, very much like a bored, rich guy, like asshole kind of thing. And it's a fun performance. Um, a lot more fun than some of the hyperactive, like peppy roles that Todd will usually play. Uh, number four, Kondo, Christopher Sabat. Interesting corrupt cop. Um, who... Number four and number five. I feel like the biggest parts as to... Anyway. Number four and number five, I feel like the biggest reasons why those two are even characters in the first place is a lot of, um... 
exposition reasons, honestly. Because um, number four really is the one who initially kind of starts explaining, like, the more bits here and there about the cell styles and everything like that. And um, number five um, explains, like, basically, like, summing it all up and how the, the, the 12 of them got their phones in the first place and all this stuff. Um, but Christopher Sabbath is, is just, like, a tired kind of like a tired cop tired of this horse shit wants to just get out he's done with this system he's done with this corrupt ways he just wants to leave um kent williams as number as the good doctor that's not norman bates that's not fucking wants to fucking his mom um <laughs> that's gonna be a thing now unfortunately i'm sorry um yeah he's the only one with a moral high ground aside from takizawa basically like probably even a stronger higher morals than takizawa himself um and he's just a kind gentle person he wants to do right by he wants to do right by his patients and just create the system that's going to be very beneficial and even though he he he's very much a gracious loser because he doesn't mind that he lost so long as what he wanted to do and set out to do is accomplished. That's all he cares about. And he, that just shows this character has such high, uh, is like high moral ground and he's just very kind. Um, number six, Josh Greeley. <laughs> Why the fuck is this a character? <laughs> I'm going to be asking that too. He's 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 more or less the antagonist of the first movie, more or less. Is he though? <laughs> is like I don't even feel like the first movie even has an antagonist. It's just like here's a bunch of plot stuff. That's and... the only thing you could, that's the only person you could possibly oh, call uh, an antagonist, oh, uh, but very loosely. Guys, uh, guys, that was my food. I'll be right back. Okay. Okay. Like calling him an antagonist feels like it's giving him a lot loosely. It's loosely he's an antagonist because he's the only one like causing shit and problems. He's he's like he's like the level of antagonist that is like a truck that's speeding too fast in the middle of a road is a much more effective antagonist than this character. Still, like it's the closest thing to an antagonist you have for that first movie. <laughs> You can't really call Mononobe an antagonist that much for the movie. I, I mean, kind of. He he blows up a bunch of buses and takes people out of the game, I guess. First of all, those are tanker trucks, not buses, you idiot. I mean, Would you think there are school children on those buses? Beep, beep. Sure. <laughs> I love you, but goddammit, Andrew. Anyway. But, um, yeah, now Moto doesn't really have much of a point. Yeah, there's not much reason why he should be there. He's the, really the only real oddball one. And then, uh, number 10, Yuki, Jerry Jewel. I liked what they did with him during the TV show. I'm not a fan of what happened after the fact. Because you don't know or you don't really get why this character still has to be a thing. Like, his story arc could have just ended at the end of the show, and then you could have been fine, honestly. But you decided to bring him back, and it's just like, why? But he, 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 They try to attempt to give him an arc, and then the arc is 
capped. Whatever. His arc is capped early on. Pretty much. But, um, yeah, you could have, honestly, the show could have finished his storyline at the end of the series, and then that would, they could have been done with it. Um, but for what it's worth, Jerry is just the little edgelord that he is. <laughs> it's really what it comes down to and what Yuki's character is. He's a fucking edgelord. Um, and it's great, even though his motivations are stupid as fuck. <laughs> um... But yeah, I think that's all of those characters in a nutshell. I think we're ready to move on. Yes. Yes. We're going to move on to um, more Celisows, but these ones have more, very much more important roles in this process here, in this game. Um, we have four. The first, we're going to be talking about the wonderful concierge, Ms. Juitz. Um, we have Celisau number one, Daiju Mononobe. Salasau number 11, Diana Kuroha Shiratori. And Salasau number 12, Saizo Otto. Now, Joey is self-explanatory. She is the concierge for the Salasaus. She takes their requests and can help do whatever the fuck they want, basically. Within reason. Uh, uh, I, say, I, I, I say within reason because she doesn't do some of fucking josh's requests okay okay you, okay you say within reason but uh she still somehow she still somehow manages to have them launch missiles at their own country i mean right so so look, look. so so let's establish what's within reason for jewies uh you can launch missiles you can watch nuclear missiles but you cannot get people you cannot command people to do boob Look, I, I feel like I feel like we're ignoring the part that just Juiz has the greatest superpower in the world, which is that she has more money than God. And when you yes. have more money than God, you can basically get away with anything you want. Pretty much. Um, number one, Mononobe. He used to be a civil servant. Um, he left to work in the private sector. Has a lot of connections. He eventually, um, his eventual goal was to try and take over the position of Mister Outside. Um, which he attempts to do at the end of the TV series and just fails spectacularly. Uh, we'll get to the reason why in a second. We have Kuroha, number 11. She is the, I believe, a CEO for a foreign modeling agency. Um, however, <laughs> she has a bit of a dark side to her because she is also the urban legend known as the Johnny Hunter. She could get a little bit snippy at times. I swear to God. <laughs> I I want you to know that what hurt me to make because. Then why did oh you make it? Oh my God! <laughs> no 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 no. Okay, so we watched the first half of the show last weekend. Andrew was with me. We got to that. <laughs> He's just like the second she used the cigar cutter to like cut the cigar as a, as an example. He f literally like cringed and he felt that. He's like, "Oh my god!" I just started laughing my ass off. It was great. Um, but yeah, she is the urban legend known as the Johnny Hunter. Um, the legend goes is he hunts down. She hunts down uh, capable young men, and if they can't keep their Johnnies up during sex or something, she cuts them off. In reality, though, she really just does. She really just finds the um, pretty much like the serial rapists and the criminal sexual offenders, things like that, and like she. She's like, you're not worth the time or air. Like, you shouldn't even be breathing. Like, you're a criminal. I Things like that. still don't get how her arc ends, but we'll get to that in a second. Yeah. Anyway. 
And then we have number 12, um, uh, Saizo Otto. So with this one, um, the reason <laughs> we don't officially meet him till Paradise Lost. However, he is a very important individual because he is actually Mr. Outside himself. And he is the one who has created this game. So he put himself as, as one of the Celesaus uh, to keep, keep an eye on these guys to see how they're doing. Um, so, the individuals voicing these characters, starting with Saizo Otto, I'll start with him. Uh, we have Grant James, who has been in series such as Baki the Grapper, the film Hal, and One Piece, as if you are familiar with East Blue, uh, and the introduction to Sanji, he is Chef Zeph. Mm. For number 11, Kiroha, we have Christine Auten, who has been in series such as Raza Fawn, Princess Tutu, and Full Metal Alchemist. Um, as Mononobe number one, we have John Dramillion, who has been in series such as Doreku, the animation, Log Horizon, and Trinity Blood. And as our wonderful concierge, Juize, we have Miss Stephanie Young, who has been in series such as Blood Blockade Battlefront, Soul Eater, and another series where she has to play the somewhat automotive robotic kind of voice, Psychopaths. Oh, good. Oh, yeah. She is the voice of Sybil. She's the voice of Sybil. She's the dominator. She's the dominator. Well, that's funny. In this show, she's much more of a submissive. (laughs) I hate you. (laughs) (laughs) So, so, Steph, I'll beat you in 20 minutes. Okay, cool. I'll be on my way. Just make sure you text me your directions to your house. I'll come pick you up. Um... (laughs) (laughs) Andrew, you better be out of that house by the time Jen and I come knocking. Because <laughs> I'm going to have to explain to your parents why the fuck we're there. <sighs> okay. <laughs> Start running, babe. Anyway. Um, uh, Jed, I'm going to start with you on this one. What do you think of these performances? Okay. Um, so I guess I'll start with uh, Kuroha. Um, so, Chrissy Dotted is an actress I've enjoyed ever since the old days of the FMAO3 dub with her as Azumi Curtis. And while she's in this stuff, in stuff as frequently as I wish she was, whenever she does get to pop up in things, it's always a pleasant surprise. And I liked her in this show. I mean, uh, since I do kind of mostly associate with her, associate her with characters like Azumi or as that from Agabe Gakil. I'm kind of used to her sounding you know, very powerful and authoritative, so seeing her do a sultrier character was pretty interesting. And I thought she did a great job of making Kuroha sound alert enough that you could be pretty easily convinced she knows how to, you know, lure her target into her clutches. And uh, once she does have them in her clutches, we see more of what I kind of typically associate from Christine's voice, where uh, she sounds very dominating whenever she's busy chopping some sausage. <laughs> snip, snip. <laughs> snip, snip. <laughs> Uh, I also thought her whole uh, dynamic with Takizawa was kind of interesting because uh, it seemed somewhere over the course of their whole conversation in that hotel room where uh, he thinks he has to go save Osagi. Uh, she, uh, she seemingly seems to have fallen for him, I guess, and while she isn't, like, totally passive after that, she kind of switches from being antagonistic to, I guess, kind of being Takizawa's guardian angel in a sense, which... Uh, it feels yeah. like a weird thing to say about a serial killer, but, uh, yeah, that's the thing that happens, I guess, and I appreciate that Christine's tone kind of softens up a bit after that, but never really breaks character. Uh, still, if I had to complain about anything here, it's that Kamiyama just clearly didn't know what to do with her after a while. 
Again, I know he's generally more interested in getting his idea across. I mean, his ideas across and like writing characters. And but we never get any real inkling of why she's a serial killer and why someone like her would even be in this game to begin with. And they, she's kind of written out of the plot before it can really address any of that. I mean, like I guess there is a bit of a there is a bit of an appeal in kind of keeping things ambiguous. I mean, but even I, with that, I, I, I felt like the idea was that she had probably been like harmed by a man in her past. And yeah, that's why I mean, she's engaging. Yeah, that's yeah, supposedly I mean, I mean, the motivation. I mean, yeah, that is. I mean, yeah, that is the implication, but it's still that is the implication. But so, like, including this kind of character in there, it's like I kind of feel like maybe getting a little bit more meat might have helped there. I mean, I mean, th that was the plan. That was that was actually Akira's initial plan to give her a little bit more meat. Yes, uh, I hate you. That was the original plan: is to actually have sex with her and actually give her, give her love from a good love from a Johnny. That's yep. what the Which, story is, but that doesn't happen. That felt like that was going to go very terribly because Saki was right there. Uh, yeah, uh, that whole thing was kind of weird. Like, it's one of my general sense after going through this whole thing is that this show probably would have been better to, like, maybe four or five solo sides instead of 12. But it is what it is, I guess. Also, why was he bleeding? <laughs> I actually forgot. Why was he bleeding? Because uh, fucking motorcycle accident. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, the, yeah, the motorcycle accident. That, you know what? Fair. That would do it. I was just like, wait, what What happened? To okay, that would make sense. Uh, great James is Sazo Otto. Um, he's not in the show very long, but I guess he does do a good job of making this guy sound like a 100-year-old man. So, uh, <laughs> um, so um, that's good. Like, I also have more to say. I also have more to say about like the whole game itself than the character because he isn't really in the show very long, and he just—I don't say he sounds like a pleasant old man, but he just kind of sounds like a guy who's kind of been around the block more than once. And uh, while he doesn't, he, and while he doesn't seem like the kind of person who would, you know, orchestrate a whole giant death, a whole giant death game, uh, he, he does. He does give the kind of person that he is, like very cynical of young people i guess which is why he's so endeared to knock his eye when it turns out he's like very different from the typical young person and i thought their whole like initial interaction was kind of nice i do really wish beast guy got some actual form of comeuppance because i mean i mean i mean of course again he is like 100 years old i know he wasn't going to actually get punched in the face but okay but he did orchestrate a game that could have very easily resulted in the deaths of thousands of people so and he just gets away with, like, getting a slipper slapped on his face. It's kind of, like, weird. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, I mean, for what it's worth, though, I thought Grant Chase's performance was pretty good. It's just, like, yeah, that whole character is, like, yeah, he, he needed to get some, he needed to get some better comeuppance than that. And just moving on. Um... Moving on to Mononobe, and John Gramillion is also an actor I always enjoy hearing, but I never get to listen to him often enough. And he was really great at playing our villain, I guess. I mean, he basically is given what his plans are, but the show is, like, very very weirdly lacks about the fact that he fully intended on blowing up thousands of people to achieve his goals. Uh, anyway, uh, Mononobe is, again, supposed to be, like, a long-standing bureaucrat in the Japanese government. And uh, John Gramillion's voice definitely carries that across. And he, you know, he has a very professional politician kind of voice. 
Mm-hmm. And uh, he always, like, and he just sounds like he's consistently on top of things. And even when things are going very badly for him, he always maintains this level-headed demeanor that isn't exactly calm. But it never feels like he's going to stop when things don't go his way. I really wasn't, like, super interested in him as a character. I did think his whole conflict of interest with Takizawa was kind of interesting. And, like, both of them kind of agree that the whole old guard controlling the Japanese government were kind of, you know, getting in the way of progress and kind of leading the country on the road to ruin. Uh, but whereas Takizawa kind of cares about the lives of individuals, Watanobe just kind of sees them all as being cogs of the machine, and he's just kind of mostly concerned with the prosperity of the country and not the people. I mean, I don't know if I would exactly categorize it as nationalism since he doesn't really carry himself across as an extremist, but again, either way, this guy was definitely willing to watch millions of people to achieve his goals, so he's very clearly not a nice man. And so I was a weird and it's, it's why it was a little weirded out that when Takezawa upends all his plans, this guy literally just kind of throws his hands up and walks away. And like, sure, the implication is that he might have died alongside Jerry Jewel's character when he came back for revenge, but keeping that ambiguous is kind of weird considering how far this guy is willing to go to achieve his goals. And uh, it's part of why I can kind of see why people maybe weren't that satisfied with these movies when they first came out. I'm... Uh, but <laughs> Honestly, I'm not satisfied yeah. watching it now. <laughs> but yeah, uh, all that rambling aside, I thought John Gramillion did a really great job playing this guy, and while he didn't really care much for the character himself, uh, it was definitely a very strong performance. Uh, but anyway, forget about all those people, we're here to come to the best character in this show. Jewish. <laughs> okay, yes. you may be wondering to yourself how a food operator could stand out, but she's definitely a lot more fun than you would expect her to be. And Stephanie Young's performance definitely reflects that. Uh, in most instances, she has to play Dewey's as very, you know, very polite and respectful. And she does it without ever sounding robotic. And, you know, and during those moments where, he, where she had to talk to Takazawa or maybe one of the other Salasau in a while, there's like this genuine warmth in her tone where it sounds like she's just happy to hear from an old friend. And I thought that was very sweet for what is presumably a self-operated robotic system. But of course, as the show goes on and the Salasau requests get increasingly more ridiculous, and Joey's kind of developed a sense of snark. And especially when dealing with certain ones like Joss Grill's character, she gets to get really... Oh, she gets really so snippy! It's great! Oh, that, that was the greatest. She gets, really she gets really super sassy to the point where it almost sounded like a, like a completely different person was on the line. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was pretty funny. And it all leads into the whole galaxy brain twist that Takizawa's little off-color joke about imagining a room full of identical women taking requests was actually true. <laughs> like, okay, like, okay, the implication is that, okay, Dewey's is probably still a computer, but the people controlling her are all identical women, all voiced by Stephanie Young. And the fact that she was able to make all of them sound and sing from each other in that scene was actually pretty impressive. That you know? was impressive, yeah. <laughs> so that was made up for how, like, re- for how wacky the game was kind of getting towards the end. Uh, anyway, Dewey's definitely provided some pretty nice moments of Blubby, what was an otherwise kind of. Well, again, not a dry show, but, you know, something that uh, would very clearly have to make a statement. And uh, Stephanie Young really killed it here, and it was definitely very easy to see why they eventually casted her as a voice of the Dominators and Psychopaths. Mm-hmm. Uh, because she's very weirdly good at uh, phone operator voice. So, yeah, she was fun. Alright, Amon, what are your thoughts on these characters? Uh, these are also these are also a fun bunch of roles. Um, I'm not, I'm not, I don't think I'm familiar with Christine Auten. Um, she's 
I think she's one of these actors where I don't recognize her name, but I don't know if that necessarily means uh, I haven't uh, seen her. Okay, oh, okay, have you watched the full? Have you watched either Full Metal Alchemist dub? Like either one. I mean, not not in ages, but yeah, who's she in that? Uh, she is Izumi Curtis. She's um the Elric's teacher. Oh, yeah. that lady. Oh, she's great. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there yeah. it is. There it is. There it is. <laughs> um, let me see. I liked her in this. I thought she. I, I thought I, I I don't disagree that like this that character I, I I feel like my understanding is the show was originally supposed to be a season and then another season and then at some point while planning for season two they they decided they could do a pair of movies instead and mm-hmm. I feel like I perhaps the side effect of that is that some of the less central characters maybe got like a little short shifted just because they became it became much more about what do they contribute to the plot and not so much their like you know, personality, whatever arc they have. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, th- I think maybe Koro got a little uh, short-shifted that way. I do think Christine did really well with this character, though. I think she she captured kind of the... I mean, I like the fact that she seems like she's really sinister the whole time, and she's this powerful mogul, and she's kind of a shitty boss. And it's like, oh no, I, I just murder creeps. Like, this isn't your pal. Why would I bother him? <laughs> like, <laughs> I'm... Just, I'm like, your pal seems like a nice guy. This one's a dick. Which we spent that whole arc basically being like, oh, this is, this is, this is, uh, God, what's it? Uh, Osaki. We, this yeah. is Osaki. And then it's like, oh, he just went back to his place drunk? Okay. All of this could have been avoided. And he didn't think the call. He didn't think the try and call. According to Okay, no, I think they said they did try to call him, but he just didn't have his phone on. Yeah. No, I meant Osigi calling them. Yeah, but why? Why would he? Call, like a why, why would he call them? He doesn't know they think he's he's been kidnapped. And his coworkers. He could have just called to say hi. Who do you? Who have you called to say hi in your entire life? I have friends that I call to say hi. Okay, that's fair. Don't insult me. Oh. <laughs> Don't be mean to her. Do not bully on birthday. Fine. <laughs> Do not pun on birthday is the other rule now. Okay, now you're asking too much. <laughs> <laughs> not even for my birthday. Goddamn. Mm-hmm. All right, never mind. Anyways, whatever. Uh, back on back on track. I liked her performance. I thought she she was good at seeming sinister, but nicer, like you know, more collected later on. Um, I thought she did. She turned in a really nice performance. I liked her a lot. Um, Drogamillion just plays what a cold-hearted bastard. <laughs> Yep. Just, just, it just super utilitarian. Does not like it's about the results. Uh, he was, he was, he was, and he was just great. Like he, he owned that character so well. Uh, he is just, he is so, like, kind of like, like just casually reprehensible. <laughs> like you don't, you almost don't even, you can't even like get in a fury about his behavior because he's so low key about it. <laughs> you okay there? Oh, I know, I know. I just kind of laughing. Okay. Um, and I, I think John just really sells it on it. Like he, 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 he felt he felt very like you know the bad guy you love to hate kind of a thing. Um, I think helped by the fact that especially in like the last movie, he kind of he, he kind of low key feels like he's the real main antagonist through a lot of this. Uh, and yeah. I think especially in the last movie, like he really ups his game as far as like no no he's the one you actually need to worry about because he actually feels like he can win this. Um, it's actually perhaps interesting that he's, uh, like, about, I mean, about half these people don't really use their money to play the game anyways, it's just a convenient source of cash. Uh, and of the, of the remaining ones outside of Akira, um, Mononobe is definitely the most ambitious of them, and that's why he's so, that's why he's so terrible. Just, just yep. awful. Terrible man. 
Um, but John's really good playing him. I like that. Um, I kind of the same feeling about Grant. Uh, he's I liked him in his position. I liked him while he was there. I thought it was very funny where he. Um, who is it? Like he basically like uh like beats up Harasawa from the front seat of a car and then chucks him out <laughs> the back seat. Yep. <laughs> that was that's one of the one of the good comedy moments the show has. Mm. Um, he just he, he did a, he did a good job of playing kind of like sort of like weird old man who has ideas but is also maybe kind of out of touch as seen by the fact that his way of dealing with things is this ridiculously complicated <laughs> game that doesn't make a lot of sense. And again, about half the people playing don't really give a shit about the end goal. They're just kind of doing it for their own thing. I don't know. Maybe he shouldn't have disappeared and become a taxi driver 20 years ago. Maybe that was a bad call. I can't say. <laughs> I don't know. Who knows? I don't know. I don't know, man. Maybe maybe, maybe eccentric old men should be running things. Just a guess. He got he got it he got a free paper once and then that man decided to basically kidnap 20,000 people and become the king of Japan. He kind, of, he kind of proves his own thesis statement of how the young should really be running things, if you think about it. Yeah. Kind <laughs> he's, of kind, he's kind of his own best example. Yeah. Uh, anyways, he hello, serial killer and uh, out-of-touch people. Here's $10 billion and a magic cell phone. Uh, let's see what you do. Have oh, God, fun. I fucked up. <laughs> Have fun. Um, Have fun, kitties. But I, 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 but having said that, I agree. The standout of this group is definitely Stephanie Young. She's just great. She's just, she's just, she's great. She has such good repartee. It's fun listening to her argue with Josh in the movie. It's fun hearing her bounce off Akira for so much of the show. Um, it's great with the actual, like, it's quadruplets? Are they sisters? Yes, yeah. something the, like when that. When the quadruplets just show up and it's like, yep, nope, he was right. <laughs> It's just a bunch of identical women, and they're just hanging out in a fancy pit stop somewhere on a highway in Japan, saying like, "Should we tell grandfather about this?" And it's like, I don't yeah. know. I like I like how clearly they think this whole plan is really stupid too, but they've just like they've agreed to go along with it. I'm assuming because it's like, like if we don't do this, grandpa's just gonna raise a snit, and that's not gonna be fun for anybody. <laughs> I so thought just, they I thought the Jewies in the show in like the show was a fucking robot. I was surprised that, okay, they're all real, like, quadruplets. I, 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 the best part about that whole thing, though, is, like, should we tell Grandfather that, that number nine took his trailer? I mean, he didn't ask for help for us to take it, so therefore, he doesn't have to know because it's not going to be in a log. So, no, we don't have to say it. Yay! <laughs> Yeah, Solidarity. Like, because they all love Takizawa. It, it, is, it, is, it is wonderful how hard they are rooting for him to win this dumb, dumb game. Yes. <laughs> it's a little inspiring. It's great. Um, no, Stephanie, Stephanie's just wonderful. I'm, I'm, I'm so glad she's in this. Um, yeah, no, she's, she's, one of, she's one of the highlights in here, I think. I adore, I adore this performance. It is very, very good. Thumbs up. All right. I'm calling next. Okay. Make Andrew go last, because I can fucking do that. She can do um, that. <laughs> I'm going to start with Saizo Otto and Grant James. He's a spunky old grandpa. He doesn't take shit from no one, clearly by kicking Hirasawa out of his cab. <laughs> Just tossing him out like, look, I may be old, but I can still kick your ass kind of deal. It was great. Um... But even though even though his appearance is essentially rather brief, um, it was still fun. Like he's 
he's just this he's this spunky sarcastic grandpa who just wants to see change in the world his intentions he has good intentions but at the same time it's like mm, I don't know about this no more <laughs> but I really loved it it was a it was a fun performance um you you guys stayed till the end credits of the second film yes yes yep. I did yep good because <laughs> i'm gonna bring this up so when takizawa finally meets mr outside he's like don't you go see an all me now pulls out a fucking slipper he's like wait what pulls hat off smack <laughs> i was like oh that was satisfying it's like why'd you fucking make this game it was great um anyway moving on uh kodoha number 11 i really like christina 10 I do like her a lot. She is this sultry, seductive tone of voice to her. Um, she's also a boss lady. Like you don't fuck with her if you do something stupid. Yeah, if you do something stupid, you're you're done. You're quit. You're, you're fired. She fired Tia Ballard too. <laughs> At one point, I was like, oh well, bye Tia. Have a good day. Um, but she's very, very seductive and sultry, and it's. An interesting tone of voice to give to a character especially when a lot of she's the only female character that has a darker sounding tone to her when all the other characters like Saki like sis like Michan even Saki's older sister um, have more of a lighter sounding tone a more happier sounding tone compared to um, Kuroha here and I think it's an interesting uh, counterbalance to the whole tone it also kind of helps set the overall tone for to an extent with the, uh, the entirety of the Celestials, because in, if you haven't noticed, all basically the majority of the Celestials have a darker sounding tone to them, as a collective group, which is very interesting. And then you have the Eden of the East crew, who we'll talk about shortly, that is more of the lighthearted, more of the happier tone, that kind of thing. It's an interesting contrast, um, and sound wise, but and I like that a lot. Uh, then we have Mononobe. Mononobe is an asshole. <laughs> but I love him. He's a good asshole. Because um, John Gramellion is just this... He's very cunning and he's very... He, he's, a, he's very cunning and he ta it's, a, it's a take no prisoners kind of situation for him. Where he, he's just doing whatever he can to climb up that political ladder in order to see the change in the country that he wants to see and how he wants to do it. And the portrayal is just great. You, you, from the get-go, you can see him as the major antagonist to, like, the, the entirety of the series itself. Granted, in the series, in the TV show, it is a little bit overshadowed by um, Jerry Jewell's character, a tiny bit, but only a tiny bit. Um, but he does become more of an integral um, antagonist role in the films, and I think it's just honestly, it's just well done. It's a strong presence um, and a good counterbalance to Takizawa. Uh, and of course, we have to talk about Juiz because Juiz is the best. Juiz is the fucking best. She is, so Stephanie Young is Juiz, while it does have more of an automative tone um, to that voice, uh, like Jet Namon have said, she, she does have her moments where it's just fucking sassy and snarky and I love the ever-loving shit of it. Like, over time, Juiz, you can start, in the beginning, Juiz definitely is more automative sounding. 
which is the entire point. However, the more you hear Stephanie as Juiz, the more you get to see her interact with the different Salisau, it's almost like if you didn't know that the four ladies in that scene at the at the um gas station wasn't a thing, you would think that it would be like some AI horse shit where she's starting to like get her own personality kind of deal. Because she's becoming a bit more interactive, being has a bit more personality to her, and it's actually very enjoyable, and I like it a lot. But um, kudos to Stephanie, though, when she had to play the quadruplets uh, in that scene, because they each have, while they sounded the same, obviously, they each have their own kind of distinct personality, and you can tell which one was which, essentially. Um, and I really do appreciate it. I love that a lot. So... <gasps> So, Juiz is definitely a standout performance for me, but uh, Mononobe's also, Mononobe and um, Kodoha are also a lot of fun as well. Uh, Andrew? Uh, I'll be quick with most of these. Uh, Saizo Otto, Grant James. Uh, he's a very good job sounding like a very good old man who's kind of trying to improve the country but also doesn't really understand how this shit works and just like hey let's bring these people to a fucking death game cool make them change the country cool i guess his plan is just you know what it is this is his he has the worst like taxi cab game show ever it's it's the worst game of cash cab ever yes it's basically cash cab for keeps Oh my god, Cash Cab for keeps. Oh god. When you put it like that, it makes you view the show differently. He does a good job at this. I don't get his deal of him being so passive at the end, but it is kind of satisfying watching him get smacked a little bit. Uh, Christine Auten as Kuraha. She's very good, very sultry, very seductive, very powerful, without saying too much and without exerting herself too much. I don't get her character. I don't get why... I wanted to know more about... Yes, I. we probably didn't need to know all the nitty-gritty, but we needed to know, I think, a little more than we actually got. And then she becomes a passive ally, and also she manages to get Juiz to get, like, an illusionist to make her look like she has a... You were very confused with that. <laughs> I was very... And I had to explain okay, okay, it to I, you. Okay, I've seen it show three times, and I still don't, I still don't understand that scene. The only flew, thing is, she, the she only thing I can like she flew off like an angel. Yes, the only thing I can equate it to uh, okay. is that you explicitly see in her logs is that she paid money to get an illusion. Okay, 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 yeah. I mean, I guess it's like, yeah, I know that, but it's still like she blew up the window. She <laughs> blew up the window, and like, did she drug them both? Like, there's a lot of planning that has to go. Like, there's a lot of planning that has to go into being an artistic fuck. Look, Juiz is just a brilliant bastard, all right? But yes, Christy. Neither of you have any sense of the dramatic. It's really sad. It's less that it's (laughs) the sense of the dramatic and more of, like, it's, it's like... It's like Mr. Satan in Dragon Ball Z being like, oh, this is all cheap trips, pyromantics, lighting tricks, uh, you got smoke bombs. It's like all that except less believable somehow. <laughs> I don't know. Oh, I don't get this character. Also, she makes me cringe, but either way, Christine Auden makes her sound very hot. <laughs> <laughs> you know, this, this reminds me, I watched I watch the show at my grad school's anime club, uh... 
which the, the graduate portion was co-ed but the undergrad was uh all women's and it was a it was an undergrad club and uh shockingly all of them were really into this character for some reason i just don't know why <laughs> look I just look. I don't know why look look let's face it there's some shitty guys out there we deserve it it doesn't make the thought the thought any less terrifying Andrew, I love you. I promise I will not cut your dick off with a cigar cutter. That makes me feel better about this relationship already. Thank you. Good. Uh, Just need to make sure we make that clear. I appreciate it. Uh, John Grimillion, it does a great job sounding like a spurned government employee who knows exactly how bullshit it is getting the populace to do anything, which... He's actually a very interesting antagonist, and as far as antagonists, he really is the series' main antagonist. But it also feels like you, I can't tell if he likes Akira, or if he's willing to fight too much, or if he gives up too fast, or... I don't get what his deal is at the end, but I think he makes a good antagonist, and it, he has... As somebody who works in the government, it's very believable that he's like, Man, fuck society! They're all fucking sheep. Giving them right to do anything, nothing's gonna happen. You have to brainwash them. It's like, that's a genuinely fair thing for a villain who works in the government to think. And John Grimillion sells that pretty well. Now, Jewish is... Uh, Stephanie Young in this dub is probably one of my favorites in the dub period. Just because she's so sassy, she's so coy, she's so believable at this. She has this level of personality and snarkiness to her that is just absolutely delightful. And I enjoy it every time she interacts. And she is just... She is just a ton of fun. She sounds delightful. I love when she tells off Josh... I love when she tells off Josh Greeley. I love when she interacts with all the different people in the show. And she sounds like a different person for each of them. It's really mm -hmm. interesting. And I think definitely Stephanie Young is one of the standout performances in this dub. Period. And I pray for your continued service as a Dub Talk podcaster. That made no sense. I don't know. Fuck it. Anyways. <laughs> it makes about as much sense as the fact that there's just four identical women who are all driving these these trucks that are computers for the actual program. It's, it makes about as much sense as that. Fuck you. <laughs> I'm pretty sure there were other drivers, babe. The more I talk, there were more than four trucks. The more I talk about the show, the stubborn this gets. <laughs> he is slowly dying on the inside. <laughs> oh boy! I went and broke my own boyfriend again, didn't I? Oh, uh, let's continue on. Oh boy! All right, I guess we got to move on to the next section then. Uh, all right. So moving on, we have. We split these into two, but you know what? We're going to say fuck it. We're going to throw all six of these goobers together. We're going to talk about the Eden of the East crew. Um, the six people who are essentially the part of the creative team behind this massive search engine. Uh, that becomes a big fucking deal at the end of the series. So we have, really in no particular order, um, we have... Uh, I'm going to work backwards. I'm going to start with... Haruo Kasuga, we have Mikuru Michan Katsuhara, we have Sis, yes, her name is only just Sis, um, we have Koizumi Hirasawa, who is essentially the president slash CEO of Eden of the East, um, we have Yutaka Panties 
uh, Itazu, who he's he's a programmer. Um, he helps with the Eden of the East program. However, I fucking love Panties, by the way. He's one of my favorite characters. He's such a goober. So... He became a neat shut-in after losing the only pair of pants that he had, and he figured, oh, my solution for this problem is to never leave my apartment. It feels like what, it's like he had one bad day, and instead of becoming, like, a a supervillain, he's just like, I'm just never leaving this house again. Nobody can see my underwear. Yep. (laughs) Um, he also becomes ve- a very important figure in the series uh, because he's basically the first person that Takizawa uh, relies on and talks to about the Silasaus um, and the, the game and all this fun stuff because conspiracy theories are a real thing and Panties is just like, what is this and this and this and this? It was kind of interesting. Uh, and then we have Satoshi Osugi, uh, who... He was a part of the Eden of the East crew. Uh, however, real life is a bitch, and adulthood is a bitch. He decides to go get a corporate job. Uh, so he isn't part of the company proper anymore. He also has a big-ass crush on Saki. Oh, you can tell, like, immediately when he starts interacting with Saki. It's like, oh, buddy, you have no fucking chance in the you world. You have no shot in the world. Yeah, like, hey, boy, uh, you know, you know, he just, you know, he immediately reminded me of who? Who? Erica Meadows. Erica character in Gothic. Oh. Oh my God, you're right. Oh come on, oh, she had more shit. of a chance than he did. Come on. You're right, though. You're right. Oh my god, three out of the four people from Ghostsick are on this episode. Fuck. See, I thought you were gonna go with Erica Mendes' character in Your Lie in April. Okay, no, Ooh, that's won. another no, one! Okay, no, she won in the end. Well, granted, she won Bad. 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 Okay, bad. Okay, that probably was a little bad. I'm sorry. Ah, uh, don't apologize, you dick. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh. oh, Jed, I love you, you bastard. <laughs> Anyways, Osuki, uh, he's a lover boy who gets fucked in the end. Oh yeah, but he he eventually accepts it. <laughs> In the TV series, though, he is so hellbent on throwing Takizawa under the bus. Well, he's like, he's dangerous, Saki. He's dangerous. To be fair, yes. when you're yes. when to you're like, fair. okay. To be fair, he I guess he thought he had a chance when he re- when he pieced together this guy might be a terrorist. No, no, no. I don't think. I, no, I don't think it's that he thought he had a chance. It's that I think he was fair and justified in. Okay, this guy. Literally has like 1,200 different identities. Nobody can figure him out. This is sketch as shit. Didn't you know? Being a terrorist is the new sexy. Because <laughs> apparently that's what Saki's attracted to. She's always... She's she's attracted to things she can't have. Like her sister's husband. Oh, you right. <laughs> You right. You didn't even notice that until I pointed it out to you. No, I got that right away because they're like, there's this one movie I really wanted to see, and I'm like, is that the fucking poster of the movie? I'm like, oh, she no, got. No, 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 I don't fucking think so. I pointed that shit out to you. I noticed that. What are you talking about? I have. Fuck I... you. I pointed it out to you anyway. Yeah. All right. Aside from 
terrorism being the new sexy, which legit guys, terrorism is not the new sexy. Don't take that in. Don't take that legit, please. Um, <laughs> anyway, uh, so going through the <laughs> individuals voicing our wonderful Eden of the East crew. As Kasuga, we have the writer of Paradise Lost, Mr. John Bergmeier, who has been in series such as Black Cat, Fairy Tale, and Yu Yu Hakusho. As Michan, we have Stephanie Shea, who has been in series such as Bleach, Your Name, and because I just had to put this in here, Lucky Star. Mm-hmm. As Sis, we have Miss Lydia McKay, who has been in series such as Demon Wonderland, Psychopaths, and Shiki. As Hirasawa, we have J. Michael Tatum, who has been in series such as Attack on Titan, The Empire of Corpses, and Kamisama Kiss. As uh, Panties Itazu, uh, we have Newton Pittman, who has been in series such as Fairy Tale, Yamada and the Seven Witches, and My Hero Academia. As Osugi, we have Michael Sinternicholas, who has been in series such as Pantama Inverted, Tiger and Bunny, and Sengoku Basara. Uh, I'm going to start with Andrew. What are your thoughts on these characters? Okay, starting with this, uh, starting from the bottom. Actually, not even now the... we're here. Yes. Uh... <laughs> no, actually, let's start with Sis because she is the least. Oh, okay, most of the characters in this group have at least some part to play. I genuinely do not think Sis has any part in this story by the end. Her big thing is, oh, I drew, I drove trucks once. She doesn't even have a name. She's Sis. That's it. Like, even Panties has a name. Like, Jesus Christ. Lydia McKay does a good job at playing a character who has no real purpose in the story, and I feel bad for her. She's the maternal figure, I think. That's how I feel about it. I guess, but it's like... She, okay, cool. <laughs> you didn't even know what to say! I mean, I, I, mean, I, guess, I mean, I guess the implication was that, like, she's a lot older than the others, which I guess there might have been an interesting story there, but we... But they do nothing with it! Mm-hmm. They do nothing with it, uh... Well, they do do more things with, uh, Michan is a coder, and I think she's kind of adorable and snarky, and actually plays off of characters really well. I enjoy her banter with Akira, uh, I actually enjoy her relationship with Panties, uh, and all the other characters who she really cares about, and it's nice to hear Stephanie Shea be a prevalent force, like, uh, in a Funimation dub. It's like, oh! That's pretty neat that she popped up and she was in this. And she's a lot of fun as this character. Uh, John Bergmeier, I wasn't sure at first, but he's a much louder and, like, higher-pitched John than I'm usually used to. But he does a good job being that very dorky, high-spirited nerd in glasses who gives his all and is doing his best. And he's pretty interesting. Uh, J. Michael Tatum is a glasses boy and he's a very good glasses boy neat who basically becomes the ceo of his company i really enjoy this character and he really is very supportive of everybody else in his squad and is the one who goes on his own to chase after mr outside at the end which is actually pretty interesting i like this character a lot and i think tatum does a good job adding that level of authoritative intelligence but also a little bit of sass and comedic relief to him too uh Michael Center Nicholas is great at playing, um, okay, no, there's no way around it. He's playing Dean Venture. He's, he's, he is very much playing Dean Venture in this show. 
Oh my god. Especially in later seasons, Teen Venture, who is like a science boy who's trying to get out of his old world and get a new job, but also is kind of trying to get over, like, his last girlfriend kind of going with another cooler guy instead. It's very much both the character Dean Venture as well as, like, the exact same tone of voice he uses for Dean Venture as well. I forgot he's Dean Venture. Uh. I completely forgot. I remember him as Leonardo in, like, what was it, the 2003 Teenage Ninja Turtles, where the fuck that was? I don't think he was Leo. I think he was... <clears throat> he was Donatello. Oh, yeah. Donatello. Right, right, right. I, do, I remember bad. he was one of the turtles in that, yeah. But, he was one of the turtles. But no, uh, he does a good job playing Osagi, and I do enjoy him interacting off of Saki and the other characters. Uh, Nuda Pittman is the best in this fucking crew because he's playing this basically shuny, <laughs> shut-in, neat, fat motherfucker who's a conspiracy theory nut. Newton Pittman is voicing a character you would never expect Newton Pittman the voice in this No, life. but I, his voice was unmistakable. Great. But he actually is a very delightful, fun performance. And it's also very fascinating listening to Newton Pittman talk about how baby boomers were kind of fucking the economy. And it's oh like, man, God, it's great. man, the more things change, the more they stay the same. And also, I just love that his deal is that he's just this crazy hacker man who what, the one time he goes outside, he gets run over. Which is why you don't leave outside. But no, Newton's really funny and dorky, and I actually really enjoy him interacting with all the other characters, and I enjoy him act- interacting <laughs> with Akira. And I think Newton adds a, is a very different role for him, but I think he's really fun in this role. And I think it, he's definitely one of the more entertaining performances in this dub, and I enjoyed him quite a lot. Okay. Um. All right. Let's see. Eeny, meeny, miny, Amon. Uh, I like this group a lot. Uh, this is another good, solid bunch of performances. Uh, I think as a group, they're actually a lot of fun. I think all of these actors play off each other really, really well. Um, you can really, you can really sense the camaraderie that exists between all of them. Uh, they very much feel like these are a group who have been around. They've been through some stuff. They've been around for a while. Uh, they got each other's back. They're friends. Uh, and I, I, I think that, I think that's that's. That's, I think that's important to this show. I feel like, um, just given the way it's set up, like, you need to buy that the Eden of the East group... Like, like there's a reason they're all sticking together, and there's a reason they're all doing this in the first place. Um, and I think the dub really sells it on that. Uh, individually... Who should I go with? Uh, let's see. Uh, John Birdmiger kind of feels like... Not, not, I won't say the least, because um, Kasuga gets some, some good bits in there, but he feels like he's the most relatively minor i think just because he's kind of the most generic of the dudes basically um but he's a lot of fun uh, i actually think i find him very entertaining uh, he gets a lot of good bits and it is always a delight to hear john bergmeyer in a dub he is not in nearly enough things uh so anytime i get to hear him i'm happy uh stephanie shea is a lot of fun as uh meech gun uh, as much as she hates being called that, um, I just I find her very charming. She's very spunky. It's always funny when um, Akira will kind of like tease her a little bit, and she'll get kind of flustered because she clearly thinks Akira is kind of cool, uh, but doesn't. But you know, doesn't really want to get his attention because he's this, he's this, he's this cool dude, um, which I find I find funny. Um, also, as I I meant to mention in the last section, uh, this is um, one of the interesting aspects about this is. Uh, I think as we were mentioning a little bit earlier, how how kind of we were talking about how this could be a simul dub era dub, uh, but it's 
also kind of not just because like you know as we mentioned we get all these different people and i think the the california people in this dub uh kind of highlight that the most just because you know sometimes you know even in this day and age you'll get people from houston coming up to funimation to do simul dubs and vice versa uh but you know up until like very recently usually if you're in california you generally weren't going to be in a simul dub just because it wasn't going to work out that easy but here we have not one but two california-based people uh stephanie shea and uh michael Sinter nicholas who we'll talk about later um in this dub and i i i, I like that i i this is a this feels this feels like a nice example of that kind of pre-simul dub era where like you could draw from other acting pools really really easily uh just because like you were usually dubbing this you know you're usually dubbing the whole thing at once basically uh so you could just call in stepping shay for example and be like you know oh, hey you know we'll work for a few days you'll dub this character it'll be great which uh you know i, th I think i think that's you know now that they've started opening up you know remote studios in places that's coming back a little bit but i think for a time it felt like that style of anime dubbing had kind of gone away and it was nice to hear one from that period where you're what actors you could you had a lot more freedom in what actors you could pick just because organizing it was a lot easier um who's next uh lee mckay is great i find i don't think sis quite gets enough to do i would have liked if she had a little bit more meat in the story but she is always really really fun uh it's just great having this like older woman running around who's sort of taking this seriously but is also like we're gonna oh man he lives in a shopping mall that's great ah he's so lucky she's just she's just a delight i i was always very very i always really enjoyed hearing her uh hearing her whenever she's on screen uh she was just a delight good stuff uh uh tatum as i think he's very good as hirosawa uh, it's very tatum -y. you know he's very he's very stern uh, kind of serious. He has glasses. Uh, all your typical Tatum things. Um, but he really sells the character on it. I like that he has this, like, you know, he's serious and he's in charge, but he can also, like, kind of acknowledge one's like, alright, no, your idea is a good idea. We're gonna do what you do. Um, he's not so prideful that he can't uh, find a way to work with, you know, you know, step down a little bit and not be a big egomaniac. Uh, which I think I think is an important part of that character. And sort of how they fit into the story where he's willing to see control this group to Akira in certain ways in order to get stuff done. And I think uh, Tatum, Tatum sells that very well. Also, just nice to hear Tatum in general because he's a good actor. Um, and now let's get to kind of like, I think probably the two standouts of this group, I would say. Um, Newton Pittman as panties. Underpants. Um, he's just, he's very fun. He's clearly having a lot of fun playing this pretty ridiculous guy who you know oh man i only have one pair of pants and they flew out the window one day guess i'm never leaving gonna live off takeout uh and just you know be uh be gonna dedicate myself to being a neat and fighting the system and so on um i like how he just commits to that and it's not like he calls up one of his friends and it's like hey uh my sweatpants flew out the window uh could you could you buy me a pair of pants uh, I, I do it myself, but I don't want to walk around in my underwear. I might get arrested. Um, which I think tells you a lot about that character. <laughs> I think Newton really sells that. He feels like the exact kind of very specific kind of really online nerd who would come to that kind of conclusion. Uh, I think he just sells it on it. He, he take, I think Panties could be a really irritating character performed badly. And I think Newton just completely avoids that entirely. I think he manages to make Panties seem very funny and kind of